I'm Sean Dietrich, and you're listening to the Sean of the South podcast. Now, the idea behind this podcast is painfully simple. We have one short song and one short story, and then you can turn this sucker off and pretend like it never happened. With me today is Atlanta's best Dixieland jazz band, Bill Rutan on the banjo, Al Johnson on tuba, Stan Joseph on drums, and Don Erdman on the clarinet. We're in Atlanta today, and with me is Don Erdman, Atlanta's own jazz clarinetist and the founder of Hotlanta Dixieland Jazz. Don, how'd you start playing music? I was a young boy, maybe 10 years old or so, and I discovered a saxophone in the attic that belonged to my uncle. And it was such a beautiful-looking thing, I was desperate to learn to play it. But my parents said, no, I had to spend a year or two learning piano before I could move on to the saxophone. So I did that and uh, did not enjoy my year or two with piano, but I finally got to the saxophone. That was the beginning of my musical career. Don's going to play a tune for us. This is a uh, old standby, a favorite among Baptists, Methodists, and even the rowdy Episcopals. We're going to listen to Don play I'll Fly Away.
My father was not a Methodist man. Lord, no. He was a Southern Baptist with Pentecostal tendencies, and if you don't know what that is, I don't really want to explain it because it could cause more harm than good. Describing a Southern Baptist is hard enough. Describing a Southern Baptist who goes to services where they handle snakes occasionally, well, that's double bad. Either way, my father was no Methodist. My father was a Methodist maintenance man for a short period of time. He did it as a favor to a friend. His friend had told him that their Methodist maintenance man had passed, Mr. Harold. They need someone to change light bulbs and grease rusty hinges and sharpen lawnmower blades and even shampoo the carpets. My father was the most handy man most people knew. He could fix just about anything. He even worked on the Methodist minister's car from time to time. I remember watching him replace the alternator one night while the Methodist minister sat in a lawn chair at a distance, providing conversation. Methodist ministers are excellent at providing conversation. They know words that the common man doesn't know. Nevertheless, my father was no Methodist. I can remember seeing him one early evening in a shed on the Methodist property, sharpening a lawnmower blade with a giant file. And I asked my father, Daddy, are we Methodists? And he said, Lord, no, child. He looked at me with a flat face. He said, a Methodist, you see, would drink on church property. They're not as bad as Episcopals. Episcopals would drink right in the church, but a Methodist is bad enough, and we ain't no Methodists. Still, my father liked Methodists, I could tell it. There was something about their easy attitude that was a nice contrast to the hard-shell Baptist that was in him. The Methodist minister was a nice man, small, white-haired. He treated my father with respect. A lot of people treated my father with respect, even though he was a blue-collar steel worker. There's some kind of respect that men earn when they can fix things with their hands. I helped him mow the Methodist lawn. I push mowed, and he rode a tiny snapper riding lawnmower. He would make his rows in the grass tight, but he would miss little slivers where the grass would be tall, and I would come behind him pushing that forward lawnmower, and I would clean up after him, my father. I can remember him waxing the floor in the Methodist church. I was on my knees in the back, waxing a small section, waxing a floor. The old-fashioned way is a pain in the ass. And my father was an expert complainer. In fact, if there was one thing my father loved in this world, it was to bitch. But in the sanctuary, he dared not open his mouth to say anything negative about what we were doing. He saved that for the ride home. One night, I can remember getting a phone call. My father rolled out of bed, answered the phone, wiped the sleep from his eyes. He looked at the clock. It was two in the morning, and it was the Methodist minister who said that someone had left the door open to the church. The sense of obligation swept over my father instead of 
telling the Methodist minister who only lived a quarter mile up the street to go lock the door. He hopped into his work truck and we drove 10 miles toward the Methodist church at two in the morning. His work boots were not laced and he was still wearing his pajamas. His hair was a mess and his face looked like someone had sat on it for a couple hours. When we got to the Methodist church, he parked, he turned his lights off. It was a work truck that he drove. All his life, he drove a white work truck with rust on the fenders. It had long tubes stretching from oxygen tanks and spools of cable on the back. It was a Ford. My father would only buy Fords. He kicked the door open and walked out of the truck. He looked at the open door to the Methodist church, the slender wooden door. He looked back to me. He said, if anything happens to me, you start that truck up and you drive. Well, this was as close to an adventure novel as I had ever been. I loved to read adventure novels, westerns, and tales of the high seas and swashbuckling pirates. And I imagined that my father was about to walk in to the last chance saloon. I imagined that some fella, some desperate criminal, was inside with his gang, and he was about to shoot my father up. And then I, with all my heroism that was embedded deep within me, would grab a shotgun from beneath the seat and I would charge into the Methodist church and I would save the day. I would drag my wounded father out and nurse his wound and save him and I would be in the newspaper. Oh, they would write stories about me. I would be famous for years to come. In fact, they would probably even make me sheriff of that town. I would be one of the best sheriffs to ever live. My father walked into the church. He was walking slow taking careful steps and then he disappeared into the black hole in front of the church which was the front door he walked through the sanctuary his boots made creaking noises on the wood floor he neared the altar and he saw something in the corner it was small it was making panting noises it was hairy it was a dog, tan and white. It had small puppies around its belly. My father looked back at me. I stood in the doorway of the church ready to make the front page of the newspaper. He told me to come here in a whispered voice. I walked toward the altar. I could see the white puppy. She looked in pain, but satisfied somehow. I went to touch one of the tiny animals that was gathered around her belly, and my father stopped me and said, No, no. If you touch a newborn puppy, you'll get your scent all over it. And once a newborn puppy has a human scent, its mother won't want nothing to do with it. So we squatted onto our haunches, and we looked. We observed we grinned at each other. There's something about newborn puppies which look like hairless slugs that make people grin. The next morning, my father was still there, checking on the dog. He didn't want to move her. 
he let her be. The minister came into the church. Once he saw what had happened, he was moved. He said, what are we going to do with this animal? Trusting my father to have some wise answer. And my father said, my uncle has a farm. I'll take him out there. They'll be happy there. The minister went forward to touch one of the animals. My father said, no, no, you can't touch him. The minister said, well, why? My father explained about getting the human scent on a puppy and what that would do. The minister took a seat in the front pew. He crossed his legs and he just looked at the animals in the corner. He thought to himself and he, he finally said, I think I'd like one of them dogs. My father said, well, they're much too young to pick out one, so you'll have to wait. It was a few days later my father was able to get the dog and the puppies into his truck. They rode in the front seat. It was only a single cab truck, so I rode in the bed of the truck. I grew up riding in the bed of a truck. We didn't see anything wrong with that long ago. Today, the police would pull you over and throw the book at you. We drove and we arrived at a place, a clapboard house in the middle of a huge pasture, and my father lifted the tan and white dog in his own arms and gently set her on the ground. He rubbed her head and he called her Belle. I asked him why he named her Belle, and he said, I once dated a girl who broke my heart named Belle. After she broke my heart, I vowed to myself I would name every ugly animal Belle as her punishment. He had owned four Bells in his life. I watched Belle in the corner of the barn. I watched her puppies squirm and crawl the best they could with their eyes barely opened. My father and I stood watching, and as those puppies got older, I remember seeing them bound through the fescue and the alfalfa. It was something to see, to see dogs of the same shape and color run together in the wide open country. The Methodist minister came out, and he selected himself an animal. He called the animal Foot. Foot had white feet he followed that minister around wherever he went. Bell followed my father wherever he went. Dogs always followed my father. It was a talent he had. Often I wondered if he kept rotten ground beef in his pocket. I asked him how to get dogs to follow me, for dogs seemed precariously uninterested in me. He said, A dog knows things. He can sense things that are outside your head. He knows when you're afraid. He knows when you're scared. He knows when you're upset. He knows when you're happy. If you love a dog, he knows that too. In my life, I have found that to be true. Even though my life has not been long, I have loved a good many dogs. My father sold all the puppies. All of the tan and white puppies. I was there for every person who came to picked them up. He sold them for $5 a piece. He gathered the money. He took it to the Methodist minister. 
He said, I hope you do something godly with this money. I know you Methodists. The Methodist man took the money and said, how about I use it to pay a maintenance man? My father held his hands up. The consummate Southern Baptist and said, I don't want money for what I do. I do this for the glory of the Lord. Well, that was only partially true. Certainly he was doing it for the glory of the Lord, but he was also doing it as a service to a friend, a favor, and he hoped very, very seriously that his time of obligation was about to be done. My father saved that money. He kept that money in a small cooler. He kept a tin cooler on the very top shelf in his storage room. That cooler contained money. I asked why he kept his money in there. He said, I keep it in here in case there's ever a fire. It has a better chance of surviving a fire in a cooler than it does in a shoebox. When Belle got older and her muzzle got white and her fur got a little more faded, my father found her in the corner of his shed just behind the lawnmower. He found her still, and her body was cold. She was unmoving. She'd been a good companion to him. He didn't cry. I rarely saw my father cry in front of me. I had seen him cry before in my life, but he didn't cry that day, though I imagine he, he wanted to. I remember him taking Belle and wrapping her in an old sheet. We went to the Methodist church, and he buried her in the ground, in the very same cemetery. The minister, my father, and I stood over Bell's grave. The minister said a few words. I wish I could remember what he said, but I don't. A few days later, a man showed up with a stone, a gray stone, tall, and he embedded it in the earth, right above the mound of dirt where Bell lie. My father had paid the man $50 for the stone, $50. My father smiled while looking at the stone. On the stone it read, Here lies Bell, a Baptist dog. Thanks for listening to the Sean of the South podcast today. I've been your host, Sean Dietrich. And it has been a pleasure. The guys in the band behind me, Bill Rutan on banjo, Hal Johnson on tuba, Stan Joseph on drums, Don Erdman on clarinet. And remember, may you never steal, lie, or cheat. But if you must steal, then steal away the sorrows from someone you love. And if you must lie, lie with that person you love every night of your life. And if you must cheat, then please, cheat death because we couldn't live a day without you.